Amen. Well, thank you so much for that, Dale. Um, now, I'm going to go ahead and ask you just real quick. We didn't talk this week, right, about what you just said? Nope. Because what you just said was actually pretty much a, th a theme for what I actually felt God was putting on my heart. Um, so that, that was actually really cool to hear him say that and actually uh, be able to listen to that. Um, so uh, if, if anybody else um, is, is like me, uh, you're probably uh, probably super emotionally drained from this week. Um, there are some things that went on this week, some, some things that really uh, affected really the future um, of our country um, and things that really um, are, are going to shape uh, what the future looks like. Um, not only for us as individuals, but for um, our children, our children's children, every, every little decision that happens um, within government politics, all of that stuff uh, really does impact us and the generations to come. Um, and so if you're like me, uh, maybe some of the events that happened this week uh, just left you kind of more emotionally drained. Uh, maybe it left you feeling um, sorrowful. Maybe you, you had some emotions that you haven't felt in a while. Um, but whatever those are, we can look at the world and, and look at what's happening in our country and see that there are some issues within it, right? I think we can all agree with that. Where we tend to disagree is really the solution to those issues, the solutions to those problems. Um, and, and so what we want to talk about today is really about um, the solution. Um, and so... As I say that, you know, what is the solution to the issues that we see within our country and our nation and our world? Um, as soon as I ask that question, as soon as I, I go there, um, it's a pretty hot-button topic, right? It's pretty, uh, you know, uh, it's sacrilegious to talk about politics in the church, right? Um, and so it's pretty quickly, uh, in your mind, you might continue to go point fingers at a, a particular political party. Uh, you might try to point to a particular group of people with a particular set of ideologies that you disagree with, um, whatever that is, we can all agree, like I said, that there is a problem. And really the solution is what we want to talk about today. Um, and so no matter what your political party is, the solution that, that I hope that I'm presenting um, will be the same across the board, no matter where you feel like you might want to point the finger at. Um, there's an underlining issue, I think, specifically um, in, in America, especially American Christianity, um, and, and it's really the sin of, of idolatry or, or the sin of pride and, and selfishness. Um, what we've seen in America is that we've actually elevated um, these Christian values or biblical principles actually above Christ and the Creator Himself. Um, and so, when it comes to idolization, we've idolized, really, the Christian life. I mean, it's similar to what we talked about last week, right? When we want to live like Jesus has lived, or maybe we want to live out the way Jesus lived his life, but a lot of us don't want to put in the work to actually live the Jesus lifestyle. We want the Jesus life, but we don't necessarily want to go through the Jesus lifestyle, um, and so in the same vein of that, really, we want to live a Christian walk. We want to live in a Christian society. But a lot of the times we value that over just simply living within Christ himself. We want to live in a Christian society rather than actually just living within the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, and so when it comes to idolatry, we can idolize a whole bunch of things, right? Um, we can idolize sports, television, phone. Um, it, it's very much possible. I'm guilty of this. Um, you can idolize even your spouse. Um, I think my wife is awesome, uh, but she is not God, right? She's a great wife. She makes an awesome wife. She's a terrible God. And America, it, it, for a lot of us in Christianity, American Christianity, we've held that same esteem for our country. I think a lot of us grow up, you know, having a belief and a pride in God and country, right? I, I've seen bumper stickers all across North Carolina. It, it goes away the more north you go, but as south you go, um, or more south you go, you start seeing bumper stickers, you know, God and country, you know, and God we trust, and, you know, they got guns blazing on the back of their big old pickup trucks with the two pipes coming out, whatever it is, right? Like, that's, that's the visual of, of, you know, Christianity or Americanism, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, but again, what we've done is we've, uh, what we have seen over the course of however long in this country, the point where we've gotten to where we start seeing these flags that say Jesus 2020, uh, hanging outside of a Capitol building that's been evacuated because people are storming it. Uh, that is an idolization of a Christian life because we want Jesus as president, right? Je- Jesus as president. The Jews wanted the same thing, right? Like when, when it was found out that Jesus was born and that he was here, their, their idea of who Jesus was, was that of a, of a mighty ruler, a king who was going to physically reign on this earth and, and you know, take over and, and help them lead uh, in the world. It was a political idea that they had in their mind. And I think we're guilty of that too, that we need Jesus to be in the Oval Office in order for America to get back on track. Um, and, and, and so what I would propose today, and this is actually a quote Um, by an apologist and theologian uh, named Russell Moore. But he says something like this. He says, A religion that needs state power to enforce obedience to its beliefs is a religion that has lost confidence in the power of its deity. So in other words, if Christianity needs in order to thrive, if, if we as believers in Christ, if we think that in order for Christianity to thrive in America or anywhere else, that the governments that we find ourselves have to put our laws or our beliefs as their laws into play in order for Christianity to be successful, then we've lost confidence as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what we're saying and what we're doing is we're saying that we don't need Christ, we just need his characteristics in our governments in order to succeed. So we, can, we don't need him. We just need our governments to pick up those same ideas. And, and, and that is a loss of confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what we see today in American society. We want so badly for our beliefs to be the law of the land that we've actually placed that ideology above Christ himself. Um, and so when we see our nation in such disarray, you know, it, it sparks emotions, um, an emotional response from us. Um, and I'll tell you, those emotions are not all bad. Um, those emotions are actually healthy. They're actually um, good responses to have. We ought to be emotional about tragedies and injustices in this world. Because if we don't, we're actually showing that the spirit of Christ is not in us. 
If we don't get brokenhearted about the same thing that breaks the Spirit's heart, that's another conversation that needs to be had. But the problem really with those issues is the source of those emotions. Um, and so why are we so emotional about the things that are going on? You know, I've seen well-intentioned Christians, um, and, and I'm guilty of this too. I've done this before. Um, when tragedy strikes, when, when something major happens, it breaks in the news in, in America, across the world, whatever it is, a natural disaster, Without fail, I, I see many Christians posting on social media or in their social groups when they have face-to-face conversations. They'll say something along the lines of, Lord Jesus, come, or come, Lord Jesus, or Jesus, come quickly. But is that the appropriate response that we should have? Um, because usually we only say that in reference to catastrophic events or tragedies. Or things that upset us. But why? Well, we do see throughout Scripture um, this idea of come Lord Jesus. Most, you know, uh, probably more popularly in Revelations, the second to the last verse of Revelations, um, we see John say, come Lord Jesus. He says it specifically. But we have to ask why he's saying it. Well, He's saying it because the Lord has appeared to him, and he's fallen down his face in worship of of God the Father, or of Jesus Christ, sorry. And he's worshiping. So that Lord come, or Jesus come quickly, his response was a response out of worship. It wasn't a response out of tragedy or, or wanting to be taken away from the world because the world is just such in disarray. His was a genuine, worshipful response to what he was seeing in front of him. And that's vastly different than our responses. Because our responses are usually, like I've said, is in a place, is from a place of despair. Um, and, and really, that's, that's actually really prideful. And it's an, again, it goes back to the idolization of Christian values. Um, and I, so you're probably asking, like, well, how is, how is that selfish? Like, how is that prideful? How is it? an idol for me to want Jesus to come quickly. Like, I want him to come down and and save us from the world that we're living in. To which my response would be, rescue who? Because there's a reality that we have to come to terms with. The world around us, for the the most of the world around us, does not get the ending promised in Scripture, should we choose to live for Jesus. The reality is that there are 7.4 billion people in the world. It's growing, it's falling every day. Of that 7.4 billion, there are only 2.4 billion people who claim to be Christians. Now, you know, in-house conversation really quick. Just because you claim to be a Christian doesn't make you a Christian, right? And so... What we see is different studies that come out. And so if those studies can be trusted, of the 2.4 billion people who claim to be Christian, those who are actually biblical Christians, who actually follow Jesus, they read scripture, they hold to uh, what the Bible teaches, really that's only 480 million people. So what we're left with of that 7.4 billion is about 7 billion people. 
who if Jesus were to come right now, would not be in heaven for all of eternity with Jesus, with God. And so when we say that line of Jesus come quickly or Jesus come, and it's out of a response for what's going on in the world, it's out of a response for a tragedy, what we're doing quite literally is saying, Lord, come rescue your people, Jesus lovers, and to hell with everybody else. And, and that is not the response that, I, that we ought to have when it comes to these tragedies. Our response in this time should not be to retreat. Our response in this time should not be to be rescued. Our response in this time, rather, should be run towards an injustice, towards those tragedies, with the gospel in hand, sharing the truth and light of the gospel with the world. Because I, th- I think you can agree with me, if you're a believer of Christ, the world needs the gospel now more than ever before. And so, like we said last week, we want so badly to live that Jesus life, but we don't necessarily want to take the the, the steps and, and be disciplined enough to live the Jesus lifestyle. And that's it, it just boils down to pride and, and that selfishness and Truth be told, it's actually quite American. Um, and so where does this idea come from? Why do we think this way? Well, I think for a long time, uh, we've gotten this idea um, from a misunderstanding that America is God's chosen nation. Like we are, We've replaced Israel somehow. Um, but that's not true. We have to come to the understanding that America is not Israel. We are not God's chosen people. Um, God chose the nation of Israel to bring about Jesus Christ. It was through Israel that Jesus Christ would be born, and he would live his life, and he, we would have, have the Savior. More than that, God's reason for choosing the nation of Israel was not just solely on that, but also because you know, he wanted to have a nation of priests, of prophets and missionaries to this world. That's what Israel's role was. God's intent was for Israel to be a distinct people, a nation who pointed other nations to God because there was going to be a, a, a provision provided for sin. There was going to be a Messiah. There was going to be a Savior. And it was Israel's appointed duty as God's chosen people to point the way to that Savior and to bring him to earth. It was not America. Um, And I think this misunderstanding that that America was given a covenantal promise that Israel was not. Israel was given a covenantal promise that we in America have actually tried to put America in into this promise. Um, and that promise is, is in Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 14. It says, If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, 
and heal their land. We read these verses and go, that's us. That, that's America. We need to turn back to Jesus. The reason why we're going through these things is because, you know, we turned our back on God. But we forget, or sorry, if we were to go back to God, if we turn and repent, then, then God will bless America as a nation again. But what we tend to forget is that this verse is not about us in America. The Bible was written for the world to read. In Australia, Japan, China, Russia, whatever it is, the Bible is not, you know, it was written for us, but it wasn't written to us, right? So the Bible is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. And it most certainly is not about America. It's about Jesus and, and his story. That's why they call it history. If you've ever heard that, his story, history. Um, it, it, it was set forth by our Heavenly Father. The Bible, the plan that we read in the Bible, the story that we read in the Bible, um, it was set forth by our Heavenly Father to bring forth his Son so that he may be the sacrifice for our sins. And so, again, that promise made to Israel was not a promise made to America. Um, and, and this is something that I've challenged uh, a, a few friends that I've had that are super ultra patriotic, and there's nothing wrong with that. We'll get to that in a moment. But this is the challenge that I've given them, is that if America had to fall for the kingdom of God to rise, would that be okay with you? I'll say it again. If America had to fall for the kingdom of God to rise... Would you be okay with that? Would that be okay with you? And, and so now we'll circle back to the ultra-patriotic thing. Listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying be un-America or be un-American. I'm not saying don't wear your red, white, and blue. I unintentionally am wearing red, white, and blue. But the problem is, or we should not despise our country. We don't want it to fall. We shouldn't want that. Um, and so what I'm saying is for far too long, we've made an idol of America, her promises of hope and freedom. We look at the promises of America for hope and freedom, and, and we, we desire that, we want that. And so when things don't go our way politically in our country, we forget that we already have that hope and freedom in Christ. And that points us again back to the idolization of, of Christian values. And we have placed the idol of wanting a Christian society with biblical values above Christ. Because at the end of the day, we could have a great justice system. We could have the right president in the Oval Office. We could have a great Congress, uh, 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 an intelligent Senate. We could have well-behaved citizens. We could have all these different things. But it's all for naught if we have the wrong God. If God himself is not on the throne of our hearts, it does not matter who is running the country and who's not running the country. And so again, we come to this idolization of the Christian law of the land and not Christ himself. Israel was disobedient, right? Uh, and the call that we see here in Second Chronicles was given so that they who, if they were to call on God um, as, a, as a nation once again, um, in mass, then God would spare Israel's fate. The covenantal promise to Israel, though, is not made to America. But, and while that's true, 
we can still look at that verse and we can still have a reason to hold fast to the promises of God that he makes that do apply to us. Because he made that promise with Israel, because he fulfilled that promise with Israel, we have confidence and faith and knowledge to know that God will also continue and carry out his promises for us. And so while, you know, we are asking God, you know, to save us in this country, the salvation that we're going to get is not going to be political, ethical, or economical. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The verse that we read here in Second Chronicles, it's about salvation. It's not about how the country is ran. It's about who is actually in charge as far as God or man. And what that, for us as Christ followers, what that means is that if we claim to be disciples of Jesus, we are actually citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 6, um, it says that, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Um, again, a, a quote by Muscle, Ro- uh, Muscle Roar, Russell Moore. Uh, he says that we are Americans best when we are not Americans first. We are Americans best when we are not Americans first. It's, what that means is meaning... We can be better Americans. We can be better as Americans when we are first citizens of the kingdom. When we are first citizens of the kingdom, when we have our minds set on the things of the spirit, on things of the kingdom, it changes the way that we behave, react, the way that we interact with the world around us, no matter what the world looks like. If you get anything out of what I'm saying at all today, I, I, want, I, I would hope that you would get this right here. This is Philippians 1.27. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. And so, as citizens of the kingdom, we are missionaries to America. As citizens of the kingdom, we are missionaries to America. Some of y'all, as soon as I say that, like, I am not called to be a missionary. Um, I've had funny conversations with my dad, who he knows as a believer in Christ, he's a missionary to this world. But he, it's so funny, he talks about, it's like, I don't know how they do it, all those missionaries. You know, it's a funny conversation him and I have, you know, I don't know how they go overseas and live that way, and I just don't, I just, that is not my calling. And that may not be your calling, but God has placed you here in Brown Summit, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, wherever you're located within our little triangle here. God has placed you specifically in that location. And so if you claim to be a believer in Christ, if you are a 
disciple of Jesus. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And that makes you ultimately a citizen of the kingdom and a missionary to your geographical location. Our friends, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, they all need Jesus. Some of them don't know Jesus. I hope my coworkers know Jesus personally. That would be awkward. But they need the gospel regardless. The people around us need the gospel. The gospel has been said to be so simple that a child can understand it, but it's also been said that it's so complex that philosophers and theologians have debated it for years, centuries. The idea of a supremely all-powerful being, the creator of everything that we know and everything that we don't know, somehow loved us enough or loves us enough that we can be reconciled to him because of the sins that we've made. We've been separated from him because of the sins that we've made, and we can be reconciled because of the love that he has for us, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And I think a lot of times we think about that, and oh, that's crazy. And it is crazy. But the more you think about it, you realize that God is love. I mean, that's, that's 1 John 101 right there, right? God is love. And, and, and so when we see that, when we look at the gospel, we realize that really him sending Jesus is an overflow of his love and his characteristics. What else is, what was God going to do? Right? Like, you know, Jesus or, or God the Father being love as an overflow of his affection for his creation since his son. And for God, that's not illogical like it is to you and me. For God, that makes the most sense because that's who he is. It's an overflow of who he is. Um, and, and that separation grieved God, like we said, to the point where he sends Jesus to die on a cross, right? He was beaten, you know, spat on, nailed to a cross. And it was a death that we deserve, right? Like He did not do anything to deserve that death. But he willfully took it in our place. And not only did he die, three days later he rose again. And so not only in his death did he conquer our sin, but also in his resurrection, he made it possible for us to be reconciled to the Father again, to have a relationship with him. And we can get that relationship no matter who we are, where we are, or what we've done. God doesn't say, get right with me first before I'll die for you. Never says that. I've had many family members and friends that that don't go to church because like I just got to get right with God first. 
there's no such thing as getting right with God first. Jesus already did that on the cross. Our response now is to accept the reality that Christ has died for us. And now we accept the reality again that Christ has made a way for us to be reconciled to him, to the Father. It's not because we're awesome. It's not because we're cool, because we're, well, because we're American, right? It's not because of anything in, in, in us at all. And so Romans 5, 7 through 8, um, it says that, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. And so the truth of the gospel is, is timeless. Um, no matter what's going on in our world, the gospel remains unchanged. No matter how the world evolves, no matter how the world prospers, no matter if it's in shambles, if it's in pieces, if it's on fire, the gospel remains the same. It is still the same yesterday, today, and forever because it is Christ's gospel. And no matter how we present uh, or no matter how our present reality is, we as believers, as followers of Christ, we have been commanded to carry that gospel to the world, shining the light of hope and love of Jesus Christ. So no matter who's running America, you know, your guy or that guy, you know, the mission remains the same. We are called and held to a higher standard as Christ followers and as missionaries to this world and to this country. And so as the band comes back up and gets ready uh, for, for one, is it was one last song? Just one last song. Think about your citizenship. Think about how you and your role, how, how do you fit in? Are you living your life as a citizen of the kingdom? Or are you living your life as primarily a citizen of the world? My challenge to you again today is simply that we would not be Americans first, that we would be first citizens of the kingdom, and ultimately that makes us better Americans. It makes us better humans, makes us better people, so that we can accurately and boldly go out into the world to share the truth of the gospel with Jesus Christ. I hope that, that, that will be true of you, that you will first claim citizenship of heaven. But if it's not, I want you to know that we are here, and if you want to become a citizen of, the, of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom, if you want to live that life, we want to help guide you in that discussion. We want to help you understand what that looks like more. And so if, if you are a citizen of the kingdom, I ask that you would pray um, for our country. I ask that you would pray for our world. But if you're not, I would ask that you, if you want to know more about what that looks like, come up here to the church and talk to myself or Dale. Um, we will be here again until 11 o'clock today. Um, and we are open and we are, are happy to have those conversations with you. And so if that's you, We'd love to talk to you. Um, so again, thank you so much for streaming. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much just for your word, your truth, 
Uh, God, thank you for your gospel, that it is timeless, that it is for us at all times. Uh, God, I ask that you would just um, be with anyone who is watching this right now, God, that you would just um, open their hearts to the word that you have for them. I ask that you would open their hearts to um, the conviction that you want to bring. I pray for our country. I pray for our nation, our world, that they would come to see you. For those of us who know you, God, who have a relationship with you, I ask that we would have the boldness to stand in truth and love in this world. And if we don't know you, those who don't know you, they would have the strength to be able to come to an understanding of who you are, reveal to them who you are. God, we ask that you would bring that conviction. We ask that you would bring salvation to where it needs to happen. And we know that because of that, we'll see differences in the change. Not because of any policies, not because of any rules or laws in our land or anywhere else. But God, we know that you are the one that brings conviction and change in the world and nothing else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.